So what's your song? Because you only get one. One song with the one voice coming from the one life that God has given you. What's your song? Someone once said that our core problem is not that we're too passionate about bad things, but that we're not passionate enough about good things. And today, I want us to talk about what it looks like to be passionate about the best thing, the best thing, the one thing that God is calling us to be passionate about. And it's really important because, you know, we talk about that word passion and passionate here at Windsor, right? Part of our vision statement, pretty simple six-word vision statement, life-changing community, passionately pursuing Christ, passionately pursuing Christ. And so, I mean, if, you know, if we're going to say it, it's important to be it, and it's important to live it. And that's what we're going to learn today when we look at Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there. The last book of the New Testament, Revelation chapter 3. The book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus' revelation, which was given to the Apostle John. The Apostle John is on the island of Patmos, and he has been um, persecuted for the gospel. And he's been quarantined away from his worshiping community, the people that he loves, the churches that he's pastoring. He's in his 80s now. And he can't get to the people that he loves. So while he's on this island of Patmos, he says he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day that he receives this vision from Jesus who assures that the Apostle John that while John is in exile, Jesus is not. And he is fully in control and he knows what's going on in his churches and in the churches that John has been pastoring And so that's why we've been looking at these seven churches here. And one by one, Jesus gives local knowledge of what's happening, starting with the church at Ephesus in chapter 2. And today, we look at the seventh church to the angel of the church in Laodicea, Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. These are the words of the Amen the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. 
but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Revelation 3, 14 to 22. With, with amazing clarity, Jesus gives specific local knowledge. He knows what's going on in each of the cities. And, and even more so, he knows what's going on in the church at Laodicea. And you'll see that in just a moment as I tell you a little bit about the seventh city in Revelation, Revelation chapter 3. Laodicea, Laodicea was the last church on this postal route, beginning with Ephesus there. Do you see that? Right about 8 o'clock, and then up north to Smyrna, and Pergamum, and then over to Thyatira, and Sardis, and then Philadelphia, and then finally the seventh church, the church at Laodicea. And, and I want you to notice the two other towns that are near Laodicea. We'll talk about those in just a moment. Just north and a little bit uh, east of Laodicea was the town of Hierapolis. And then just south and a little bit east of Laodicea was the town of Colossae. We get the uh, uh, letter to the Colossians. But Laodicea was the wealthiest church in, in that particular region. Uh, it was a uh, 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 practically a re- recession-proof community for three reasons. There, there were three uh, 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 financial engines which just kept this town uh, uh, wealthy, uh, even wealthier than any of the other cities in that region. And, and, and you just remember it with three M's, okay? The first is money. It was a banking center. It was a financial banking center. Money flowed in and money flowed out and they just kind of, you know, they kept a little bit of the cream and it just, it just kept, uh, kept the economy there in Laodicea flowing. So much so was that in about the year 60 AD, there was a massive earthquake, the kind of earthquake that uh, leveled the city of Philadelphia. And Philadelphia applied for federal funding in order, from Rome in order to rebuild uh, Laodicea was just as devastated, but the problem was, it wasn't really a problem. When Rome offered to finance Laodicea's rebuilding, Laodicea says, no thank you, we don't need it, we'll just write the check ourselves. They refused any money from Caesar, they, they just kind of, and they were kind of smug about it, and they took care of business on their own. That's how wealthy they were. So they were a city that had money. They were a city that had a a magnificent wool industry. 
There were these black sheeps, uh, black sheep and, 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 and uh, a breeding that uh, produced this black raven, cashmere, soft, high-end wool material, which was coveted all across the Roman Empire. So in addition to their banking business, they had this wonderful clothing industry that was the envy of the empire. And then on top of that, there was a medical college. That's the third M. And this medical college had a a specialized ophthalmology school in which they produced uh, medicine, eye salve, that was uh, sent out all throughout the Roman Empire. And once again, that provided this uh, town with plenty, plenty of money. So they had money, they had uh, uh, material, magnificent wool, and they had medicine. It, it would be the kind, and here's a little bit of uh, Laodicea today. Uh, that's the theater. Can you imagine uh, sitting uh, there uh, uh, on a, just a cool summer night, looking across the valley and the mountains while a performance is going on? They had two theaters. That's how wealthy this community of 120,000 was and uh, the theater and then there's the stadium Uh, that's what memorial stadium is going to look like 2,000 years from now by the way just going to give you the heads up on that that is listen that um it's it's in an oval that's 900 feet that oval is 900 feet long I mean so so they they kind of sat in an embankment and watched the races and uh it was an amazing place for for entertainment and then the next slide is kind of like what main street uh, looks like in, in Laodicea. So it, it, was a, it was a fantastic, fantastic, uh, very wealthy city. Now, I want to show you this next slide because I mentioned earlier Hierapolis uh, to, the, to the north and to the east and then Colossae. This is important because, um, well, I'll first start with Colossae. Colossae was at the foot of a mountain and Colossae got its water source from this mountain. Cool, ice cold, refreshing Pure mountain water, all right? Uh, Just delightful to taste. Colossi, ice cold, refreshing to the weary traveler. Hierapolis was known for its hot springs, its hot medicinal springs. And people who were sick or had various diseases uh, or ailments would actually go and spend time at Hierapolis and spend time in the hot springs, which still produce the, the mineral water even today, piping hot water for, uh, for, for folks who need uh, medicine and healing. So you've got the cold, cool, refreshing water of Colossae, and you've got the hot, mineral, soothing waters of Hierapolis. You get where I'm going with this, you see? You see, for all of Laodicea's wealth and its money and its uh, a magnificent wool and its medicine, they did not have their own natural water supply. And as a result, they had to have water piped in. Let's look at some of those pipes. Uh, well, uh, uh, yeah, there we go. We'll go back to that other slide in a little bit, Laura. Those, were the, those, are, those, are, those are concrete pipes, Okay, took a little longer to lay them back then in those days. And, uh, and then let's take a look at uh, the next slide. That's a little closer look. Uh, that white there is calcium. And so the, uh, the, the calcium would uh, develop because Laodicea had its water piped in from near Hierapolis, but it was, it was, it was barely palatable. Bar- it was drinkable, but barely palatable. And... Uh, And by the time the water traveled the four miles from the source, 
Guess what temperature it was? Lukewarm. Lukewarm. And so, let's go back to that slide that we looked at a little earlier. There in Laodicea, you would look across the valley and you would see six miles away. That's Hierapolis. That's not snow. That's calcium. And there's, I think, a close-up shot there. That's not snow. That's calcium. And water still pumps out today. And you can see the little pools. And, and it's like 300 feet high and about a mile wide of this, uh, this calcium deposits because it's so uh, a mineral rich. And uh, you can soak in it, but you, but you can't drink it, you see. And Laodicea, Laodicea had this, this, un, this, this, this un, and, and it, was, it was an image because it looked so attractive from a distance. It looked so impressive from a distance. It impressed people from a distance, but, but it was un, unpalatable to the tongue. And Jesus says to the church at Laodicea, that's what you're like. That's what you're like. You're very impressive at a distance, but up close. You're unpalatable. You're unpalatable. Look at verse 15. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold, Colossi, or hot, Hierapolis. You're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. I wish you, I wish you were refreshing to the weary traveler, or I wish that you were a source of medicine to the hurting but you're neither. You're neither. You're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. You're just like your water. And Jesus says, I'm about to, and that word literally means vomit. I'm about to, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. Strong words. We, we, I've seen a lot of stained glass pictures of Jesus, but I've never seen a stained glass picture of that. But we need to see that. So often we stereotype Jesus as the gentle shepherd when what we need is we need to be challenged. You're making me gag, Jesus says. You make me want to puke. Spiritual, lukewarm spirituality sickens the stomach of Christ. Lukewarm spirituality sickens. That's your problem. You're just lukewarm spiritually. But we need to unpack that because, you know, what does it mean to be lukewarm? What is that? What does it mean? And I think the answer is in verse 19. Because Jesus gives the solution. Jesus says, here's what you need. Here's what needs to happen in your life. Do you see that there in verse 19? He says, you need, to, you need to be earnest. And that's our word for zealous. You need to be zealous. You're not zealous. My goodness, the church at Laodicea, you're just kind of, you know, where's the church? Oh, it's on Easy Street there in Laodicea. You, 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 if you went to the church at Laodicea, you wouldn't have to be challenged spiritually to be an eternal difference maker. You could just come and you could just hang and, and then you could just go out in the community and just kind of hang. Let's go over to the emperor's temple and let's pay our homage to him like everybody else. There was no discernible difference between the church community and the city itself. And Jesus said, I just, I wish you were one or the other. I wish you would refresh the souls of the weary 
or I wish that you would be medicine to those who are hurting. But you're just kind of, you're just kind of, you're, there's nothing there. The same old thing. Same old thing. And Christ says, I haven't wired you to be any, we're wired to worship. We're wired to be zealous. We're wired to pursue something. The question is, what are you pursuing in life? What are you pursuing in life? It, 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 it's like what Larry Walter says, a man can't just sit there. Larry Walters. We learned about Larry Walters last week in our small group. Larry Walters of Los Angeles, California, lawn chair Larry. He had a boyhood dream to fly. Larry joined the Air Force, true story. He joined the Air Force, he had bad eyesight, he still wanted to fly. Uh, So he wanted to fulfill his dream. So what he did was, he went to the Army Navy surplus store, bought 45 weather balloons, filled them with helium, four feet, four feet in diameter, 33 cubic feet of helium each. He strapped himself into his lawn chair. He had some sandwiches with him. He brought some Miller Lite beer with him, which explains an awful lot. (laughs) He also brought a pellet gun, thinking that what he would do is he would kind of lazily float up about 30 feet above his property, you know, and this would kind of get a nice view and hang there for a few hours and then take his pellet gun and just pop a few balloons kind of gently that was the plan. That, that was the plan. But when his friends let him go, he did not float lazily up to 30 feet. Instead, he rocketed into the Los Angeles skyline as if he was shot from a cannon, pulled by the lift of 42 helium balloons holding 33 cubic feet of helium each, climbed past 100 feet, 1,000 feet. He finally leveled off at 16,000 feet. He was too scared by that time to shoot anything down lest he become unbalanced and he'd really be in trouble. So he drifted 16,000 feet for 14 hours in 16,000 foot cold. There it is. Finally, he even drifted over into the LAX corridor and and pilots for, you know, airlines called in the tower. Every one of them started with, you're not going to believe this. Okay? Finally, Larry got the nerve to shoot some of those balloons down. He descended, got caught in a power line, caused a blackout at at Long Beach, and uh, the police were there waiting for him. (laughs) Finally cut him down. And uh, when someone asked uh, the FAA what the charges were, they said, we don't know, um, but we're going to look into it. We know he broke some law, and once we figure out what that law is, we'll charge him. And uh, Larry was led away in in handcuffs, and a reporter asked him why he did it, and Larry said, because a man just can't sit there. (laughs) But that's exactly what Laodicea was doing, right? They were just sitting there. They were just sitting there. 
John Milton once wrote, I cannot praise a fugitive and cloistered virtue, unexercised and unbreathed. And that's what this church was. They were fugitive, they were cloistered, they were unexercised, and they were unbreathed. Lukewarm spirituality. Jesus says, it's making me sick to my stomach. I just want to throw up right now. That's the problem. But you see, there's a problem behind the problem that we need to get at. See, the problem is lukewarm spirituality, but there's a problem behind the problem that Jesus explains in verse 17. You see that there? You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth. I do not need a thing. Do you see the problem behind the problem? See, the the problem is lukewarm spirituality, but the problem behind that is prosperity-driven self-sufficiency. That's the problem behind the problem. This 3M community, this 3M believer became a 3I believer. I am rich. I have acquired wealth, meaning I've acquired wealth by my own strength, and I do not need a thing. And, and there's an important message that they needed to hear and that we need to hear. And it's a hard message because, church family, we are the Roman Empire. And you, you, may, not, you may not think to yourself, well, I, you know, we're, this is tough economic times and we're hard and I don't feel rich. You know what? Listen to me. Your garbage disposal and my garbage disposal eats better than much of the world. Okay? And, and prosperity it left unchecked, left unguided by the Spirit of Jesus, prosperity, whether it's in money or ability or talent, prosperity left unchecked, will breed self-sufficiency and self-superiority and we just kind of get to thinking that because we have this, we just, we're just a little bit better than people and it was true in the lives of Laodicea and it's true in America today. And we are finally waking up from you know, what it looks like to have a consumer-driven society Because a consumer-driven society needs consumers who see themselves as customers and clients and patrons, and they show up in our community, and on Sunday, they show up at church. And left unchecked, we'll start to thinking of this place as just another spiritual retail outlet that exists for customers and clients, and it's all about me. And Jesus says, that's a recipe for lukewarm spirituality. Prosperity-driven self-sufficiency. And that makes me sick, and that needs to stop right now. Michael Horton has written... um, startling and necessary book called Christless Christianity. And he confronts this very thing. 
He says, my concern is that we are getting dangerously close to the place in everyday American church life where the Bible is mined for relevant quotes, but is largely irrelevant on its own terms. God the Father is used as a personal resource rather than the Holy One to be worshipped and trusted. Jesus is dressed up as a corporate CEO, a life coach, a culture warrior, a political revolutionary, a philosopher, a co-pilot, a co-sufferer, a moral example, a partner in fulfilling our personal and social dreams. And the Holy Spirit is an electrical outlet that we can plug into for the power we need to be all that we can be. And salvation is not that. Salvation is more than having your best life now. It is being rescued from the dominion of darkness by God himself. The gospel in America has become more American than Christian. And then he asked these questions. Have we reduced the lead actor in the drama of redemption to a prop for our own play? Did Christ come merely to improve our existence in Adam or to kill it, sweeping us and resurrecting us into his new creation? Have we become more focused on what would Jesus do instead of what has Jesus done? You know, nobody's going to raise a fuss if we talk about Jesus in terms of a helper for us or a great philosopher or a nice moral example, nobody's going to raise a fuss about that. But you start talking about the real crisis where our best efforts are as filthy rags before a holy God and we stand before God as helpless sinners who need only what Jesus can give and we get heaven by placing our total confidence in him Instead of ourselves, now you start talking about that and then you're going to get people shifting in their seats, you see. And only someone who's risen from the dead has the right to say, I am the way and the truth and the life and you don't get to God except through me. That's why Jesus says, I'm the amen the faithful and true witness. I'm the, literally the source of all creation. And when you pursue something else, if it's not Jesus, in the end, it's going to be a dead end. It will. It will. And the problem with the Laodicean church is they don't even know that they don't know. They don't don't even know that they don't know. Look at verse 17. You don't even realize it. You don't even get it. That you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You don't get it. Lukewarm believers are self-deceived. And they're not honest with themselves. They They call themselves Christians like the rest of us. They sing songs on Sunday like the rest of us. They sit in church like the rest of us. They take communion. They might even drop a few bucks in the plate like the rest of us. But they do not see their compromised commitment for what it really is. 
They don't get it. And, and Jesus is saying, listen, you're beggars in spite of your banks. You're naked in spite of your fancy wool. And you're blind in spite of your eye salve. You just don't get it. Could that be said of us? You pursue anything else other than Jesus. And you're going to get a dead end. I, I told you a little bit about Larry. After our small group night, I did a little snooping. Larry did get a $1,500 fine from the FAA. He did donate his aluminum lawn chair to admiring neighborhood children. He quit his job and he tried to make money off the motivational speaking circuit based on his story. Yeah, he, did it. he didn't do much. He never married. He had no children. And October the 6th, 1993, Larry hiked into the forest and shot himself in the heart. He died at the age of 44. Is what you're pursuing right now, right here, right now, this is personal, is what you're pursuing right now going to raise you from the dead? That's it. That's it. That's why Jesus says, I counsel you. I counsel you, buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. I, you know, buy from me white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. This, this is taken from the prophet Isaiah chapter 55. I mean, he's going right, Jesus is going right there. Isaiah 55, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters you, you, and you have no money. Come buy and eat. How can you buy from God when you don't have any money? God, you can do it if it's God. Because <laughs> he wants your heart. You know, why, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me. It's like he's begging you. You know, eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. I'm to, come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. That your, is your soul alive today? If, it is, if your soul is alive today, it's because, it's because you're, you're buying from the right store. You've got the right supplier. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And then look at verse 19. This, you know, those whom I love, I rebuke. If I did, Jesus says, if I didn't love you, I wouldn't talk this way to you. I wouldn't. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest, be zealous, and repent. And, and what that means, church family, is if they repent and if they get zealous for Christ, the pain is gonna come. Because it means no more going to the emperor's temple to participate the way everybody else does. It means being the distinct, redeemed people of God. And it means being an enemy to the world. 
James tells us this. You cannot be friends with both God and the world. You're going to have to choose. You're going to have to make up your mind. Expect the pain. That's what it looks like if you repent. And then verse 20, that famous verse that we've all heard before. You see that there? Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Huh? And I've heard that verse. I heard that verse growing up at revivals that I attended at my home church in Tulsa. But do you know what? That verse was not written to non-Christians. It's written to Christians Jesus is talking to his church. Jesus is talking to the church. This is the only church that has excommunicated him. They've left the Savior outside, outside the door. And he's not talking about the front door of the house either. He's not. This kind of takes us back to the Song of Songs. Chapter 5, verse 2. Listen, my lover is knocking open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. This is the bedroom door. Jesus, the the husband's knocking. He's saying, honey, open up. I miss my wife. I'd like to be with my wife. I'd like to romance my wife. I miss her. I love her. I want to be with her. I want to enjoy that sacred space, that sacred room with her. Please, honey, open the door. And she's on the other side of the door in the easy chair with the remote in her hand. Get up and answer the door. Your husband is home. Are we going to get up or not? Verse 21 says, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Church family, spiritually neutral people nauseate Christ. Oh, but spiritually radical people reign with him. The neutral nauseate Jesus, but the the risk-taking radical believer in Christ will reign with him. I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Why does Jesus get to reign with his father in heaven? Why? You know why? Because he earned it. That's why. He earned it. Why then will we get to reign with Jesus and the Father in heaven? You know why? Because he earned it. That's why. Yeah. Why do you get to wear a white robe? You know why you get to wear a white robe? Because Jesus Christ was stripped naked and died, pinned to that cross, nude for you. That's why. And why do we get gold that's refined by fire? Why? You know why? Oh, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was rich became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. That's why. And why do we get to see the glory 
of the Father. You know why? Because his son, before he was pinned to that tree, was blindfolded. And the soldiers punched him and they said, prophesy who hit you. That's why. You've heard, you've heard me say this before. You've heard me say it. I'll say it again. You matter to God. Question. Does God matter to you? Question. 